You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. While you were skipping stones, building forts and flying kites, I was missing school and on my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello, welcome back to Little Me with me, Mark Tuminelli. My guest today began working on Broadway at nine years old, performing in the original cast of Gypsy, directed by Sam Mendes, Assassins, directed by Joe Mantello, 13, The Musical, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and Everyday Rapture, directed by Michael Mayer. In recent years, he's become a go-to director and choreographer and has helmed an array of film and theatrical productions, including the short film Color and Light, Paradise Lost, Cyrano, The Last Five Years, Sweeney Todd, Nine and Hero. He's choreographed Michael Arden's productions of Merrily We Roll Along and Annie. He's also choreographed for Macy's, Broadway Bears, Princeton University Ballet. He's a proud Gypsy Robe winner and a graduate of Princeton University and the artistic director of Grind Arts Company, a nonprofit theater organization. Please welcome Eamon Foley. Hello. Hi, so Eamon, happy to be here. You? Hi. Good. Did I get most of that right? Yeah, you did get most of it right. I mean, it's all there. It's uh, all there. Know. And you've done you've done more things. I had to leave off more things than uh, I put on there because you've had such a wildly exciting career from ages nine to today. And so I want to sort of break down your time on Broadway and what you've been doing recently. Of course, I saw you on Broadway in many shows. So it's it's very exciting to sit with you today and uh, unhash all of this or rehash. That's right. Mark, I need to know what you saw me in, please. Okay, well, obviously I saw you in Gypsy. I saw you in 13. I saw you in Assassins. <laughs> I did not see Grinch. Um, and I saw both you in Everyday Rapture. Both productions of Grinch. Grinch came back I, two years. You missed I missed Grinch. it both times. The heartfelt, tear-jerking production it. of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, I no. I was like, I, I can't pay for that. Um, yeah, that was I understand. Pre, pre-me getting. Also, they were like no comps to holiday shows. Do you remember that? No, like I mean, there's no hard... comps to anything anymore. It used to be no. just comp central. Used comp to be, central. Yeah, just shuttling friends into shows, but you know, no longer. <laughs> I, I think actually it might be comp central right now. Too, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it in a minute. All right. So you made your Broadway debut at nine years old in Gypsy. Talk to me about sort of having your first Broadway experience to be the most iconic musical ever written, starring Bernadette Peters. And actually last week, listeners, you listened to Brandon Espinosa break down his story Brandon. doing Gypsy, who you swap places with in the trenches yes. of Gypsy 2. He's older, is, he's older me. He's older you. Yeah. You guys couldn't look more alike if you tried. No, not at all. <laughs> um, okay, so tell me about making your Broadway debut at nine in Gypsy with Bernadette Peters. I'm sure it was a, a thrilling experience. Well, it was more than that. Like I, uh, The cast was so warm and so kind and it was uh i i it was it was so extraordinarily familial and um in a way that i just thought that's what broadway was you know i just thought broadway nope. was yeah, <laughs> well you know like i've still you know made lots of amazing friends with the years but i didn't i i just it was just a honeymoon uh throughout the entire process i was definitely such a little weirdo, you know, a little dancer kid, a, a very effeminate child. And I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. And then I walked into that first rehearsal and, you know, and I just disappeared from my mom. And before I knew it, I was, you know, tap dancing for the cast and getting, you know, applauded for my talent. And, you know, just this crazy outpouring of love just, it just came from, you know, just came from every corner immediately. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is where I belong, you know? And also the other kids in the show were just so smart and confident. And I decided to pick that up from them. I said, why not be, you know, confident? Have Broadway kid confidence. Yeah, exactly. That Broadway kid confidence. Oh, I have stories. Here's a story. Um, so uh, the, Buckle up, uh, everyone. Turn yeah, up the get, volume. Get Here we ready. go. <laughs> um, so the audition, I think I want to start there because start there. Broadway kid confidence. So I walk into this callback on, you know, like the, 
12th floor of some grody building. Wait, and before you go there, had you been yeah. auditioning a lot? Like, no, was this no, your no, no, fifth no, no. audition, your first audition? This was my second audition. Actually, oh third God. audition. I went okay. in for something without an agent for Dragon Tales Live. Okay. I booked, but booked it, it was an international tour and my parents said no. And well, then um, the next thing I auditioned for was a replacement in Oklahoma. I got close, but I couldn't do a backhand spring, so I did okay. not book. And then the next thing was Gypsy. And I actually had an audition for Gypsy and a Christmas Carol on the same day. And Christmas Carol was, you know, my dream because I'd grown up watching it and there was this boy in it. And that was, you know, kind of a big reason why I wanted to get involved in the industry because I saw this kid doing it. And I said, I want to be that kid. Um, but the gypsy audition went long, so I didn't go to that one. Um, anyway, uh, thank God. Um, so the door opens on this callback, this elevator door opens, and it's just this flood of kids, of boys, you know, and my mom, I don't know if she said this or if she just thought it, but she definitely thought and maybe said and maybe did or maybe didn't say, Amen, take this all in because this might never happen again. Because, you know, it was just, we were, we were who knew what the outcome was going to be? Yeah. And, you know, the, the room was, the, the waiting room was split up into two groups. All the nervous kids with no experience who were there at their first or second callback. And then the Broadway kids in the back who all had their show coats on, you know, their Smoking little like, a cigarette, show cart. Yeah, show no adults, on. you know, <laughs> just, just like, just, this was not their first rodeo, clearly. And my mom was in awe of them because just the way they talked and carried themselves, they seemed more confident and adult than her, let alone myself. And um, and I remember going up to one of them and trying to say hello, and he just completely ignoring me. He was like, Rude. I'm not going to see you again. And, you know, and, and sure, you know, I, I get it. He had to keep his game face on. And then I go in to the audition and I put on this like face cracking smile. This like, I, I just kind of, my mom didn't know how I was going to handle myself in that room, but I just figured, okay, if they want like a happy kid in this show and being a happy kid means getting out of school and like leaving this town, <laughs> then I'm going to give them a happy kid. So I just shamelessly smiled and got through that combo and I got, you know, I, I made it to the next round. And then all the Broadway kids were like, hey, you were smiling really big in there. It's like, yeah, I was. And they invited me into their little circle to Ooh. talk, talk stories. And here they are all smoking their cigs, being like, oh, yeah, I almost <laughs> went in for, I almost booked Susicle, but, you know, they, they measured me and I was just too big. And, you know, and talking about like massive flubs on Broadway stages, like it was nothing. Like they, these, these boys had seen it all. So you're I, like, I want to be there. I want to be those people. I want that jacket. And um, so <laughs> I, uh, you know, I kind of fell in love with them immediately. And, you know, Gerard Conico was, you know, was one of those boys in that group. And Stephen Scarpula was one of the boys in that group. And all these boys were still, you know, either doing it or um, moved on to other you know, amazing things in the arts. But, you know, like it was they were all, you know, 13, 14. And I was there with them. And it meant, it just meant so much to me because I'd seen these kids in Les Mis, you know, I'd seen them do it or yeah. at least seen the shows. And I, I, I couldn't believe that I was welcomed into their little group and then to, you know, and then, and then to get the show, I was, you know, super when, who, to who told you you got it and how did they tell you? Oh my God. So I, uh, I was at, I had to miss my first day of fourth grade i believe you don't learn you don't actually don't learn anything that day so it's right fine. <laughs> right right i know but but the for the final callback the principal was not happy about this she was like this is a bad idea you know this is a great day for people to meet meet amen you know she thought it was a bad idea but my mom took me out of school to do the callback and you know a weekend passed and it was monday i'd forgotten about the whole thing <laughs> and i um come home and my brother says hey amen mom wants to talk to you in the office so I walk into the office and she smiles at me and I just knew immediately, oh my God, I'm getting chills right now, um, that it was happening, you know, that this was I mean, what I is no better than meant. that? Yeah. Yeah. But like, what's so funny is like, you don't know what that means. Like rehearsal, how long is rehearsal? I used to think that, that they were playing a TV screen in the back of the house. So the actors were on stage watching they the knew TV where to go. and knowing where to go. Like I didn't know what rehearsal was or anything. I just had no wow. idea how like it you had not even be. been in like a community theater show. Like oh, by that not... point I I figured it yeah. out. Like I had done, okay. I'd done a community <laughs> theater show, but one, 
you know, yeah. and I did the Nutcracker, you know, so I knew what rehearsals were and all that, but I didn't really know how it worked on Broadway. And, um, and it was, and, and yeah, so I, so I was off on this adventure and I just didn't really know what was in store for me. Tell me about working with Bernadette Peters on that show, which I thought, and I talked about it last week on this podcast with Brandon, but I thought that performance was so exceptional. It wasn't fully, uh, the, it wasn't fully embraced by the community, but I just thought she was so brilliant in that show and that production was so special. Tell me about sort of being in the room and getting to see some of that happen. Well, first, before we talk about Brenda Peters, I have to say that that performance was brilliant, but my performance of doing Rose's turn below her every night in the male ensemble dressing room every single night for a year and a half was, (laughs) it was very, you know, nuanced. And, um, no, was there a time where your cast members were like, I not like, Enough no, of you. no, 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 no. It was, just what we, it was just what happened every show. It was just like part of the track, you know, was it. like now we go downstairs before bows and we watch Amy do Rose's turn and then we do bows. And that's just, it's about, it's what we we're getting paid to do this. This is our job. It was like part of the job. Part of the job was to watch me do Rose's turn every night. Great. Um, so then I might yeah. want to ask other people what it was like to watch you creating your Mama Rose in the basement over what was it like watching Bernadette Peters doing it upstairs? I was, I'll be real. It was very inspired by Bernadette. I mean, I was lip syncing her voice. So I was really yeah. trying to, you know, understand what her choices were. Um, but no, going back to Bernadette, she was, I mean, you know, you've heard the stories. She's just the kindest, most generous soul in the industry. She knows that it's community, community, community. And she knows the names of, you know, she knows the names, birthdays and parents of everyone in the show yeah. and the cast, sorry, and the crew and the orchestra and front of house. Like she just, she understands that the energy that she's trying to foster in that theater is very important. And she, she, she's a benevolent queen, you know, and um, funny story. She was actually my secret Santa. So oh. I picked her <laughs> name what out do you get for Bernadette Peters? What do you Peters? get Bernadette Peters for Christmas? Well, I'll tell you what you get Bernadette Peters for Christmas. Tell me. Lots of dog-themed things. Smart. Is what you get Bernadette Peters for Christmas. Little doggy earrings, doggy pajamas. And then for the final gift, while everyone was giving their big gift, my mom thought it would be funny if I gave her a picture of us at opening framed that said, good luck to you, love, <laughs> amen. As if... As okay. if, and she didn't get the joke. She was like, oh. <laughs> like, what is this? I don't understand. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh my God, but, how cool. And yeah. also to be in a your first Broadway show to have so many kids and then young people, all these boys that were sort of in their 20s, the Tim Federley, the, the you yeah. know, the Brandon Espinosa of it all. The bad kids to, of it all. Yeah, sort of like the next gender, like where you were going to eventually go. Yeah, which of um, course I'm sure I, didn't, that that I didn't understand great. that. You know, I didn't know yeah. that they were, that they were young. I thought they were adults, but of course they're children, you know, now that I look back and I'm an age of 28 and realize that they were all like 23 to 26, you know, I, of, of course there were such messes backstage, but, um, yeah, it was actually the perfect number of kids. Cause I also did Grinch, which had like 30 children and that was too much. That's but, too many. You know, kids. <laughs> but, but seven, Oh, the sweet spot. Chef's and kiss. we would, Great. we would, we would, we would, so we grew up, you know, at the end of the 30 minutes and we had two and a half hours backstage to so just learn about you- life. What do you do for two and a half hours backstage with Brooks Ashmancus, which is terrifying to well, me? Well, the kids were kind of on the top floor, so right. we sort of separated ourselves. But that doesn't mean that things weren't salacious <laughs> and 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 off the walls. Um, we would so Addison Timlin was baby Louise, and she was very adult for her age. She was very cool and very, and she had a she 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 knew what was up, and so we would play this game called House. That was like playing house, but instead of house, it was like, like dirty, like um, soap opera house, you know, in which you know the uncle and this and the dog oh and like and just like and just like like just like this crazy sexual <laughs> minds of children, you know. Oh I'm sure you're in your sexual prime when you're twelve, you know, and like and that was really interesting about the show because like I, I will mention in this podcast if it comes up, you know, just the amount of just like sexual awakening that was going on backstage, you know, as like a young person and then a young gay person. And, um, and it's a really interesting place to sort of discover all that because you're with kids and of all ages and adults who aren't necessarily the most PC people. And so you kind of learn a lot. So I learned everything about sex, you know, backstage from Addison Timlin playing house, you know, and like, just like the wild creativity of these kids, you know, we would, um, 
Yeah, in um, in in you know, uh, less raunchy news, uh, the boys were really creative, and we'd make like you know videos together on this little um, this little this little camcorder. We would create Rube Goldberg's in our dressing room. Our um, we'd put on shows and create dances, and we'd um, you know, just mine each other for creativity. Our our Wrangler uh, taught us how to knit. You know, and then we'd watch movies like we watched like Will and Grace and The Ring, and you know, and it was just like a big, you know, like I mean, it's, sleepover. it's two and a half hour sleepover every every, every day. night with um, kids who are a little beyond their years. So like, I grew up, and there 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 were fights. You know, like I didn't get along with one of the boys in the show. You know, which was, and then that was a really interesting story, actually. And like, you know, and I'd come home crying sometimes. Some nights I'd come home elated. You know, it was, it wasn't all peaches all the time, but it was definitely a home that I didn't really have in New Canaan. I I had friends, sure, but I didn't have friends who got it like this, who were so aware, who, you know, it, it just, it was, it was, we were all just cut from the same cloth and had the same interests. And so it was, um, yeah, it was, it was like, it was definitely like finding a home, even if it's almost like you get a little college experience Mm -hmm. pre-college that all of a sudden you're away from your parents. Other people are kind of in charge of you and you're like forced to become a family with the people that are happen to have chosen that school happened to be cast in this musical. And you're doing that at 10 and 11 and 12. It's just like, it's truly mind blowing to me. Yeah. I mean, I had a a crazy amount of, of, of independence. So my mom, bless her heart, put me on the train alone when I was 10 years old to travel from New Canaan Canaan, to to Grand Central and pump out my little scooter and scooter from Grand Central to the Schubert Theater. So I was changing trains in Stanford. Like I knew what was up and I, and, and I had is, to stay safe. This is and, for your next therapy session or I'm sure yeah, you've been through it. Or yes. But like, but basically, you know, that sort of freedom that I had with 10 only got more legit at 12, 13. Yeah. So much so that I could like make up auditions, get on a train, skip school, go into wow. city and, and smoke weed with my friends. Like, you know, I just had so much like Autonomy freedom. Of your life, yeah, yeah. And it was incredible when I was 13. And then you go, go to college and you see all these kids who it's their first time away from home and you're like dude get it together like yeah, you're you please. grow up very quickly back yeah to you know i've been i mean my first sip of champagne was from steven sondheim's glass honey when i was 10 <laughs> you know what i mean like like i'm not new to drinking i'm not new to being alone you know so like going to college you know with with all these freshies was was very was really easy. It, it, well yeah, it actually felt like a big Whoa. step back it was very lonely yeah. oh, okay actually. Yeah. So you you mentioned Stephen Sondheim because at this point you do two Broadway shows pretty back to back to each other, and you're yeah. part of the original Broadway cast of Assassins because pre that production it had only been off Broadway. Um, another Stephen Sondheim show. So basically, you just officially just work with Sondheim at this point. I only on do Broadway. Sondheim, is what I told yes. my agent. Um, and well, um, that's really, yeah, yeah. Tell me. I, go ahead. I have, a, I have a little story. Um, so uh, we we got our closing notice from Gypsy on Friday, I believe. And I got cast in Assassins on Monday. Stop! So like, I, That's so amazing. I, yeah, but also, you know, for the youngest person in the cast to bop in the next day and be like, hey, everyone, like, I'm going to be in another Broadway show. And it's like, like so rude. Great. Terrific. Um, you know, this, exactly. this dick. Like, like um, this kid needs it, you know? And now like, you're going to be in Assassins with, is there another kid to stand by for you? Or is you're the only kid? No, Lonely Town. It is just yeah. me. My understudy is an adult and they didn't even make him a costume, I don't think. They were just yeah, like, no, I I, I read that and I don't remember there being a cover. So yeah. talk to me about this transition of going from this adult show that has a lot of kids and adult themes and obviously the building becomes kind of as family friendly as possible to doing a show at the roundabout at studio 54 sure. that is about killing presidents. Um, and yeah. you're the only kid. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a left. Well, I like left. dark things. I like, yeah, I always like dark things. I was a weird, sad, lonely child who thought too much and was wildly too aware for his age. So like a show about assassins, I wasn't like, Oh no, scary. I was like, yes, yeah. this is dark and terrifying. I love this music. And I, I just want more. Um, but it was actors, you know, it wasn't the, the, I wouldn't say prickly, but definitely not the most warm and fuzzy people. Yeah. In the so world. we have Mario Cantone, Dennis O'Hare, Michael Cerveris, so Neil Mario Patrick Harris. Mario was my best friend on the That's show. Was, that was my friend. next question. I am he sure. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's the one who made it less lonely. He would, uh, he would um, give me South Park DVDs to burn so I could watch South Park 
at 10, <laughs> uh, 10 years old. And, right. um, you know, on my little DVD player on the train rides in from, uh, from New Canaan to New York, he got it. And Neil Patrick Harris got it too, well, because he had you know, acted as a child. Being a child star, yeah. But, but not everyone had a lot, wanted a lot to do with me. You know, like I was, I was just a little, you know, I was, I, I don't know, it was different. Um, and definitely lonelier backstage. But what it turned into was it definitely spun my passion for directing. During Gypsy, I was sure that I wanted to be a choreographer. Um, the first 10 minutes of every rehearsal were spent with me doing interpretive dance while Steven Scarpula played interpretive piano music. And I um, and, and Jerry Mitchell and Pam Remler, the, the choreographer and associate choreographer, would just watch, would just watch I, me dance. And um, <laughs> Jerry, Jerry sat me on his lap one day and said, Eamon, you're going to be two things. You're going to be a choreographer and you're going to be a Democrat because my come from a very Republican family. And he was right okay. about both. Um, so, uh, so I was definitely into choreography and knew that's what I wanted to do. But it was directing that I fell in love with when I did Assassins because of Joe's work on that show. Um, I just, you know, the, it was a concept musical in the sense that it all took place in this, you know, sort of liminal um, fairground space. And I could tell that the director's job was that of a writer in the sense that they were pulling subtext out of the show and, and saying something on stage beyond what the words of the show were. They weren't just staging it. You know, they were, they were saying something more with it. And I was in love with that. I was in love with Joe's ideas. And I, I, wanted, to, um, I wanted to do that. So it just kind of became a masterclass in like making good theater. You know, I was watching a master do his work. I was watching masterful actors do their work. And the show was brilliant. And so I, I just kind of fell deeper and deeper in love with dark, interesting theater and um, wanted to make it for myself. Yeah. Did you yeah. happen? Did you have time to spend with Stephen Sondheim? Did he give you notes? Did you? Did he like seek you out? You're the only kid in the room. <laughs> he he definitely like I he was very. Uh, I I could tell he was like holding back some real laughter in my audition. You know, I didn't know who <laughs> that guy was, but um, but uh, he definitely was. You know, I I could tell he was tickled, so that was good. Um, my audition for that was really was really exciting too. It was the first time I'd really been treated like an actor. Um, I was reading with Becky and Baker and I, um, you know, the, the scene's very screamy and very bratty and I was being very bratty and whiny. And Joe comes up to me and he kind of comes into my ear and he says, you really don't respect her. And I said, okay. And he walked away and I was like, and then I took that note and like, I, for some, some, I never had an acting class, but I took the note. You know, and then the next one, and, and, and that one, and then I found out later that day that I got the job, but like, just like feeling that change in that room, I could, I kind of watched Stephen Sondheim and he, he liked it. So that was cool. Um, I already mentioned the Stephen Sondheim champagne story. So that's a, that was a good one, but now we didn't like, we didn't hang too hard. Um, but what I'm holding up for the people who, um, no who one's watching this, it, but you can just explain the video. Oh I my have God. This, I have this, this he has letter. A Sondheim letter. Sondheim. Yeah. Read, do you want to read it to us? <laughs> Oh, actually, I don't know. I mean, I do. Okay, you don't actually. have to. No, I really do. It's it's a really interesting thing. So it actually came to me um, uh, right before he died on October twenty seventh, two thousand twenty one. He, I've been because of working on Gypsy and Assassins, I've been obsessed with his work, and I really want to make it my life work to um, direct and choreograph his shows. When I see choreograph, I, I think there's an unmined well of dance in his music i think he's writing ballets and doesn't know it i think you know there's contemporary dance and this stuff nothing makes me want to move more like the way i naturally move than sondheim music it's funny enough and so, your uh, and your project color and light which is a yeah can, can we talk about that of course of course <laughs> that's what this is so i yeah. so at, at school i you know i did sweeney todd i did and, and i um with my company grind arts and and then we started venturing into film and i did this dance piece to color and light from something in the park that was um these six girls on point um, interacting with George, these six colors that he's kind of has this wow. really sensual relationship with, you know, and you can really tell that he's cheating on Dot with these colors. And that was a proof of concept for a version of Sunday in the Park with George that I've been dying to do, you know, in full forever. And I was hounding Stephen Sondheim and, you know, and, and sending him letters and James Lapine as well and trying to, trying to get in there. And, and um, it took a while, but, you know, on October 27th, he wrote, Dear Eamon, I've spoken with James about your workshop and both of us are happy to let you do it, providing that you understand that you can't disseminate it online or go any further with the production uh, of it without getting our legal permission. Good luck with it, Steve. 
So a very professional letter, not yeah. very lovey-dovey, but I got the Steve at the end, which is really cool. All right, cool. we'll take that. So then what happens now with that project? Oh, well, so, you know, now we're, we have permission to do the workshop. So when Omicron goes down and when um, the Sondheim estate is a little more formed, we're going to, you know, go forth. We have, we have everything we need to do that. And then they and, make the decision if they feel like it's appropriate for that to move in a further I mean, I guess Correction. we're going to figure that out. Exactly. We're going to make that they're going to, they're going to see if they like it and um, producers are going to see if they like it. And then, you know, Broadway 2023, we'll see. All right. I love that. For you. <laughs> that was so good. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. So doing these two shows back to back and being like a part-time student, you know, or being there as much as you can and doing Broadway, which is obviously your love where people are applauding for you and adults love to listen to you. The dynamic between what that is and what being in middle school or elementary school is, is really, really shocking. How did you sort of deal with sort of the kids at school versus the adults who were watching your roses turn every night? Oh my God. It was just like riding that train was like this magical Harry Potter experience where I would just like ride from Mugglesville to Hogwarts, you know, like this world in which I wasn't prized, which people were really either wary of me or nervous for me because I was like just a little queer kid and they just, you know, were scared that I, you know, I didn't excel in ball sports or team sports. You know, I, I was girly. Like I, I just didn't have like the, uh, I didn't have like the cachet in New Canaan. You know, I, I, w- I was very low on that totem pole. And, um, and then I'd take a train and people are asking me for autographs in Times Square because they could recognize me from a show. So like, it was just like this, this crazy flip. Um, New Canaan was fine. I just didn't fit in there. You know, it's not a bad yeah. place. It's just like the, the hierarchy there is very sports oriented and, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a suburb. It's it's what it is. Did it feel special though? I mean, I think for a lot of kids, you know, it, it makes them be like, well, I'm, I'm on Broadway, you know, like who cares something. about this? You know, it's, yeah. it's something special that you can say that not every kid can say in, in elementary yeah, school. But it, mean, it meant that I had to work. If I didn't mm-hmm. have a job, it yes. felt like the end of the world because I was going back to what I truly felt was hell on wheels. Yeah. So like I, if I didn't have a job, I didn't have a place to escape to, I'd become wildly depressed. And like, I was really, really nervous and I was, you know, and, 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 um, uncomfortable. I just, I, ever since I was a very, very young, even way before Broadway, the idea of getting on the bus just filled me with so much dread just because of the like totem pole I spoke of. Yeah. And I, um, and so to have a job was a great, wonderful escape and, you know, something that to kind of like, that I could hold on to in the face of adversity in New Canaan. But when I didn't have the job, I felt like I didn't have an identity. My whole identity was wrapped up in the work I had. So um, it, all, it all felt very high stakes. Now, you did the the off-Broadway production and transport group of the audience, which was sort of watching, essentially an audience watch a show. And mm-hmm. in your in your version of this, you're, and actually did not see that show, but you're watching a fictional 
production of falsettos and they wrote you this big, beautiful song for you. I like what I see, which I've listened to a couple of times. And you, first of all, you have one of the greatest kid singing voices that has ever existed in the history of Broadway, but you know that. (laughs) Thank you. I don't, but I thank you. It was a, it was a moment. It's just really funny because I don't sing anymore. I know I was, we're getting to, we're going to get to, are you singing anymore? But you had this like crazy, crazy boy soprano belt, the whole gamut of like, I had the ping. You had the ping, the Michigan ping, without <laughs> yeah. going to Michigan, and being a twelve-year-old boy. So you do this show yeah. at Transport, um, which is, you know, pretty well reviewed. Um, the New York Times, um, Charles Isherwood at the time wrote, um, "A straight-laced husband and wife from out of town trade nervous glances at the shocking antics on stage, but their son doesn't uh, share their distaste. He sings a little epiphany titled "I Like What I See," hereby announcing a bid for future membership in the ever-renowning." Um, tribe of show queens. Now that review yeah. is very problematic for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And show so queens. I'm, I want to like dive in a little bit about what that felt like to get a New York times review calling you a future show queen in a musical. That's not about a kid being a show queen. It's about a kid. Yeah. And the the music, like if the kid was like, like in everyday rapture, I played like a very flaming show queen. Like that was the yeah. role. And like, like I, and I, and I, that was really yeah. fun in this show. I didn't, you know, and this show, I was just like a boy who was just singing about how theater is kind of awesome and beautiful. And I really like like how, you know, people express themselves on stage in ways that like my family doesn't express myself, which is a sentiment I really which agree was your with. Which story, time. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The whole idea of just like, you know, laying it all out there and being loud and proud about how you feel rather than just like holding in this discomfort, you know, and like this this painful brewing feeling of being out of your element, like that's what it felt like, you know, um, in New Canaan. And so, um, and by the way, like, I, like, I, again, I just need to stress my family's great. And like, I, I, New Canaan's a fine town. It just, it just wasn't a fit. Anyway, moving on from that. Um, but so this then, podcast so, is not brought to you by New Canaan, Connecticut. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, the, uh, but to the show queen thing, you know, my mom read that review with me and she just put her phone away like really fast. I remember being like, Oh, I just got outed in the times, didn't I? Like, oh shit, they can smell it on me, can't they? And it was really, I just kind of smiled through it, but like it was definitely affecting in the sense that I could tell that they 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 saw something in me and they just broadcast it on the New York Times page. And that was that was, you know, that was definitely kind of a tough pill to swallow. We were with another actor while we were reading that review and they were like oh, that's an interesting interpretation of your song. You know, kind of recognizing that it was a slight. And it was, I, I, don't, I don't know where Charles Isherwood um, got off trying to, you know, trying to put me in that box at that age. It sort but, of um, seems strange to be mentioning yeah. a young person's sexuality in any way, even though Show Queen is not necessarily saying that, but it just feels like a review that you would not give to a young Yeah, you'd person. be a little care you'd be a little more careful with your verbiage yeah. nowadays. But, but this is like the yeah. business, you know? Yeah. It's like you got you're getting the job. So you also yeah, you're having also all the things that the bad things that come along with these great moments for a young person to have. I'd like to elaborate that actually on that yeah. actually. So then I um because then I did Everyday Rapture years later and I was playing you know a, a flaming teenager and and there were just like all that chat and Broadway World meow meow what what are, I don't know exactly what the chat rooms are called nowadays but like they were all just talking about my sexuality like I'd go on there and like search my name because you know I was fourteen and why yes, not we all and, have done it yeah we've all done it and. And they're talking about like there's whole threads dedica- dedicated to is Eamon Foley gay? But you and, were like, how old when Everyday Rapture happened? Fifteen. Okay. Yeah. So strange. So strange. Just like adults at home, like typing about home, you, you know, and like being like, I saw Eamon at a juniors, and he, like the only thing gayer would have been if he was doing a Judy Garland impression, like you know, was, like, like which I was doing. No, it was, uh, and and I wasn't out, and I, you know, and I again like. That, that new Canaan thing was instilled in me where I was really nervous about being out. And, and it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was weird, you know, but I, I kind of was forced out of the closet through that and through that show everyday rapture with some really amazing 
people, you know, who we'll, we'll talk we'll, about. Let's, sure. let's skip ahead and talk about Everyday right. Rapture now, and then we'll go back and talk about 13. Everyday Rapture is a essentially a one-woman show on steroids, <laughs> um, starring the brilliant Sherry Renee Scott, um, who is recounting her story of leaving sort of the Mennonite religion is it a religion um and uh you slash way of life yes way of life and you sort of represented a a kid who was a super fan of sherry's that was engaging with her via the internet in the early days of chat rooms and things like that is that the early days of youtube actually the early days of youtube i am i was based off of a real person so there was actually this video listen yeah so there's actually this video in the early years of youtube in the early years of viral videos of this just flizaming boy you know, in, in who knows where, you know, singing my lip syncing, my strongest suit with while giving every single lyric, like a very handsy gesture. And, um, and there's a costume change where he changes from one checkered short sleeve button down to another checkered short sleeve button down. (laughs) And, you know, and like, it was just like this adorable gay kid in this room, just being like, just loud and proud for everyone on the internet to see. And it just made its rounds to the Broadway community, apparently. And Sherry saw it and she reached out to this kid and they had like this very, very weird interaction where he just doesn't believe it's her and kind of like shames her for reaching out and, <laughs> you know, and, and, and at, keeps asking for things like pictures of her with Adina Menzel and, you know, and all these like insane, you know, moments where she's trying to help this person and kind of prove to herself her star identity while this kid needs this help and doesn't believe in her star identity so it it was um i mean it's real and so i and i played this boy i came out in a youtube screen actually off broadway i was an audience plant and she pulled me out of the audience and oh i remember that now i didn't see it on broadway i only saw it at second stage Um, and i loved every second of it and i listened to the cast album all the time it is so good um but it was like a great it was a great night out it was like great night at the theater i actually watched a bootleg of it over the pandemic i just watched your 15 minutes, yeah. your solid 15 minutes, like last night in preparation for this. I'm like, oh, he's a genius. And this was so much, this was better than I remembered it. Like it's <laughs> so good. Um, but Thank like, you. what a, what a masterclass to be in a show with Sherry where yeah. it's really, you're the only, I mean, with the exception of the two backup singers, you're really the only two people kind of in the show. And, By the way, uh, it must be mentioned yeah. the backup singers are Lindsay Mendez and Betsy Wolf. I mean, can you, you even? know, like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, it, was it turned insane. out, it turned out okay for everybody. Yeah. Everyone did fine. And, um, and it's, uh, yeah. And, and it was like having three moms, you know what I mean? In a time when, yeah. when things were, you know, I was teenagers at home. Things were always a little tough those years. And also like their teenagers on Broadway don't really exist. Mm-hmm. And you have broken that mold a couple of times, but you know, to be able to do something at you said 15 was so you were in like 10th or 11th grade for that show, you know, to sort of get to do something that exciting. And this show was not supposed to happen on Broadway. It was the second stage thing. And then roundabout had an opening in the schedule and put it in there. Isn't that what happened? Yeah. Megan Mullally had a little falling out with her director and instead of, um, and she was going to leave the project instead of finding a new Megan Mullally, they just canceled the show and brought and just, I was in English class. Yes, tell us how you found out the show is happening on Broadway. So I hadn't had had a gig for a bit because it was those awkward teenagers. I didn't even have like an audition. Like I was so out of practice. My voice was changing. Like it was, it was just this nervous, awkward, you know, time. I was actually, I did the off-provision when I was 15 and now I'm 16 actually. And so, you know, and I was a very late bloomer. And so my voice was finally kind of dipping. And with that, my, my thing, my thing was epically high notes. That's what I did. I belted high. That's how I booked the shows. And so to lose that, I was like, Oh, well, what do I have anymore? And then I'm sitting in English class without having had an audition in months. And I see Sherry Renee Scott is calling my cell phone (laughs) and I have to just sit there well, sure, you're in English. Spots, you know, because I'm in English class, just sit there and like let this call go. And I just know in my heart of hearts exactly what's going on. The show is transferring to Broadway. And <laughs> I um and I just got out and just rushed out of that classroom the second the bell rang. And I called her, I listened to the voicemail, and it was like, Hey, don't call me back. The show's transferring to Broadway. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, you're we're only gonna have about 16 days to put it up, you know. And of course I called her back. I needed to talk to call her. 
And, you know, and she said, do you think you can do this in 16 days? I said, I can do it in six days. Right? Yeah, I can do it in six hours. Just get yeah, me. Yeah, like get, we're ready. Get, get, get me to the theater. Yes. And it was really exciting because we no one could talk about it, you know, and because it was, you know, on the DL that people who were hearing the rumors were posting on my Facebook wall. Is this happening? Is this happening? And, and you know, and, and I was with my family over Christmas vacation checking my phone every few minutes for, you know, for the, for the press release. So I could finally, you know, say that this was happening for real. And I was on a chairlift actually in Colorado when I saw the press release and I was like, oh God, this is happening. And then minutes later, we got a call saying we need Amen in by Monday for rehearsal. So I get off that so ski I, lift. So I, I got off that ski lift. <laughs> I, I took a plane. I took my parents stayed back. And I, I, um, I think my, my grandma was out of town, but she had an apartment in the city. So I just lived alone at my grandma's place and took Stop. myself back and forth to rehearsal for like a week just kind of doing the New York City lonely kid thing, you know? Which was, I mean, which and was also starring on Broadway. Tell yeah. us about uh, sort of kind of working with Sherry and creating this with her and what kind of things was she like telling you to help you? And I know she didn't direct the show, but it's when it's a when it's someone's story, yeah. they can't help but be involved. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, Dick and Sherry and Michael Mayer were just godsends in that point in my life. I was my most uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. And, and they were the most supportive. Um, Spring Awakening was my favorite piece of theater at that point. And as an aspiring director who loved directors who created concept pieces, um, I was in love with his work and so couldn't believe I was working with him. And Sherry is just such a prolific artist. So watching her work was just so cool, but she was also just such a mom at heart. She's really a selfless woman, which is so funny because her character in Everyday Rapture is like this egotistical mm-hmm. star or like like kind of a hungry for stardom star. You know, she has this really great persona that we'd actually just call she instead of Sherry. And um and that so like that it's it's it, it's an iconic you know, thing to have a character of yourself to bounce into and bounce out of when your character out of it is just really quite humble and kind yeah. and, you know, and just, you know, talking to me about acne and, 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 um, and just and being like a real up, person, just yeah. being like a real, a real mother truly. And I, I really, I really put her in that category. It was hard for the show to close because, you know, I, at that time, that very impressionable state in my life, I was like, you're my mom. And, um, and then, you know, the show closed and then you don't see these people ever again. And that's just something that I was kind of used to and kind of, you never get used to. So it was, um, yeah. I, and also, oh, and backstage at second stage, I actually shared a dressing room with Lindsay and Betsy. There was oh just God. like a piece of black duvetine <laughs> between like the between dressing the- room. And oh so God. I was just like listening to these girls' lives and talking. They were, what? Um, Betsy saw an Oprah special on sex and decided to give me a sex ed talk with like oh. note cards and everything. <laughs> like, you know, and like, and Lindsay's over there, you know, just kind of talking shit. You know? like, oh my it was, God. No. It was an amazing dynamic. The New York Times did come back for this one, and uh, Ben Brantley said that you should have gotten a Tony nomination for yeah. your performance in Everyday Rapture. So then we back we back to love the New York Times after. Yeah, after New York that. Times did that for Off Broadway and Broadway. I got that two I years mean, in a row. You should <laughs> have gotten early. one. It's a, it's a, oh, it's a dynamic no. performance. Thank and you. It was fun, but I popped in and I popped out. There were there were other more intense supporting actor roles going on. Yes, it would have been nice to have gotten a Tony nomination, but I didn't show up that day upset. You know, I was yeah. I was hoping for it like it would have like, been cool please. but i no. wasn't i wasn't i was nothing was riding on that did you ever call out of that show so riley uh, costello who was also in 13 with you was your understudy for th- for everyday rapture yeah, did he ever a, did he ever I'm step foot on that stage i'm a monster i don't think i ever called out for that show i'm, I'm a terrible person i should have given him i should have given him a shot that's that's rude of no me. it's fine it was your it was yours i, yeah. I understand but one time at, at 13 I, I popped a tonsil during seeing that high note, I popped a blood vessel and a tonsil, and just like during that during that that big epic note, and um, which and I'll play right on- now. It's a very iconic moment that like stops the second half of the show of like these boys doing this very sort of uh, 
kind of comedic old school vaudeville like number. And then yeah. you're, you're singing the highest note in the history of boys singing in musical theater. <laughs> Which was easy. Oh, God, it was so easy. It used to be higher, but then one of the other boys needed to get taken down, and I was livid. Of course, I wanted it to, they kind of bumped it up a third if they wanted well, to. Well, let's but, talk about 13, which yeah, was the sure. Broadway mafia of child actors. Yeah. It was like, you know, some of the greatest, you know, this will never happen again. And you're really part of a historic moment on Broadway where there are only teenagers in the show, only teenagers in the band. I mean, like, it'll never, ever happen again. And I'm I sure mean, it that shouldn't. That, <laughs> it shouldn't. Yeah. Tell me about the dark side of Fabulous, doing oh, a Broadway God. show that is really like, a children's theater show like on again once again on yeah steroids. On, on steroids i mean on God, craft, absolutely really. it, it was like a children's theater but also belt face like yes. what was so amazing about that was it was jason's music you know really you know like that and his lyrics that didn't pander i don't know if this story this story kind of pandered but like it was um it was jason expected the world out of us like I remember, like like in music rehearsals, you know, he was he was tough, you know, he really wanted it to sound perfect, and you know, there was no cheating, there was no, there, he he respected us as artists and really believed that we could pull this off, and the only thing a kid wants, particularly a Broadway kid, is to be treated like an adult. That's what I learned the most on Broadway. Is that and and why I think I'm going to be great working with kids when I get the opportunity is because I know the truth. They don't want to be coddled. They don't want things to be mushy and gushy or soft and plushy. And I'm sure it's something to be really proud of as far historically, you know, to have been in that cast of 13 and that original building cast. a show around us, like yeah. truly building a show around our talents. So what was so fun about that show, Broadway was fine. What was really fun about that show was good speed. Good speed when they were building the show around us. You know, um, the choreo was built, being built around my dance ability because I was one of the, you know, the more seasoned dancers in the show. That note was crafted purely because I could sing ridiculously high notes. The uh, the uh, harmonies were often broken up between the boys on the bottom, the girls in the middle, and then me and Ariana Grande on the top. Like, it was just like, it was just insane. We'll get to um, Ariana in a second, everybody. Yeah, no, I mean, like, that was fun. Like, you could, like, you can hear us, you know, belting face during, um, during Can't Be True on that top line. It's, it was really fun. Um, so yeah, that was a really great time. And Goodspeed was really particularly awesome because not only were we, be, had so much expected of us in the rehearsal room and we were you know had this show riding on us this broadway bound show riding on us but it was also summer camp in the sense that you know i was living alone in a house with a bunch of kids you know running through the woods after rehearsal and, and skipping rocks and in streams and like we had this sort of you know dual connection to professionalism and also connection to childhood wonder and it was the most fun i've ever had on a project now, a bunch of people in that cast have gone on to really big things, including Ariana Grande. How mm -hmm. strange it is to watch someone's star ascend to that level that you used to just like sing and dance with? Oh, it's absolutely a trip, but also it makes total sense. You know, I mean, I remember at first I had a lot of dreams about Ari. So she was really my best friend in the show. You know, first person I came out to. You know, I, when I was kind of in um, school in New York City, I went to ended up going to professional children's school. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, instead of commuting every day, I'd stay at Ari's place and I'd stay at Max Schneider's place and Aaron Simon Gross's place. I just kind of had this like this kind of constellation of of 13 cast members who I'd just live with and had clothes stashed at their home. And then like, I, I just, when it happened, it was just so intense. Like I would, I would dream about it just because, you know, your, your childhood best friend is now like at this place that felt like untouchable stardom. But, um, you know, recently we actually reconnected over a show that I did with her brother uh, in Los Angeles. And it, it, it's, it's, it's still Ari, you know, it's still yeah, everybody, it's you know, it's still Liz. It's still, still, it's still Graham. Who's my closest friend in the world. You know, like um, we ended up, uh, Graham Phillips, who was the star of 13, we ended up going to Princeton together, starting a theater company together. Uh, we, you know, we take trips together, you know, so uh, it's, you kind of, the, the, the fame and the accolades kind of fall away because at the end of the day, we all have like the same awkward, embarrassing stories about each other. So it, it is really funny how there's this kind of great equalizer between us all where we can all like laugh at the little flubs we made backstage and the ridiculous things we did on stage and, you know, in our professionalism and, like, and lack of professionalism. That wild fandom of teenagers oh my or God, yeah. seeing 13 was something that I'll never forget as far as like my students at the time being so obsessed with the show because it really felt like they could be on Broadway. 
and that there was a place for them. And they, you know, went crazy. I mean, for, for the show and they loved it. And musically it's so exciting as well. Beyond Broadway and, and, and kick ass while doing it. Like, I, I, I find that in um, musicals, a lot of the times children's songs like truly scrumptious and all these songs kind of sound like lullabies, you know, because like, they like to believe that kids have this false perception that kids, you know, feel uh, are happy. Kids aren't happy. And they kids don't have complex feelings. Angry. Yeah. You know, kids are, I was such an angry kid. And, you know, and, and like kids aren't simpler. They're, they're just as stormy. And sometimes they don't have the, uh, have the wherewithal or like, the ability to even communicate what they want to communicate or they do. And people just don't listen. So to have a show where like, you know, you could channel all that feeling into like some crazy belt plus riff, you know, was, was profound. Have you worked on 13 since 13? Have you directed anywhere or like? Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. directed it down in Ohio. I choreographed it in Chicago. You know, I just did like little little gigs in my weird, awkward years to kind of Does get it my feel weird to, on. to like get into that, you know? Not at all. That, that, that at music's all. like deep in my bones. And like, yeah. I loved Christopher Gattelli's choreography, but I have a very, not a very different way of interpreting it. Like I'm sure his work definitely inspires mine, but the music is so in me that like, I just know you all those it. orchestral hits. I yeah. know all those, you know, all those drum ticks. Like I just, I, I, I had been, because I wanted to be a director choreographer during that show. In fact, it was during that show where I decided I didn't really want to well, act anymore. I want to talk about Gypsy of the Year, which you staged for yes. your cast of 13, which seems to have changed the course of your life. So tell yeah. us about that Gypsy of the Year. So Gypsy of the Year is this benefit concert where Broadway shows put on um, put on sketches and dances and pieces in competition, you know, to not only raise the most money, but also put on the best piece, you know, and you do it at a Broadway theater. I think we did it at the New Amsterdam, which is massive. And um, we did a piece called Under 18, which was like under the sea, thinking about how to be on Broadway, you have to be under 18 and like what it's like. And, and it was really fun. And uh, you know, lots of talent in that cast. So lots of riffing and fuetes and fun, fun. But Did you write it and direct it? Or I, just... I didn't write it. Our Wrangler wrote it with, I believe, Bryn Williams. And uh-huh. um, and then I just kind of muscled my way into, I was like, I'm directing and choreographer. You're like, this. I'm the director and choreographer. I'm the director and choreographer. <laughs> Thank you. And, and so between shows, we'd have these rehearsals and I got to run these rehearsals and it just felt awesome to be at that front of a room and to like on the train be drawing charts on graph paper of where everyone goes and how the stage moves and then watch that come to life i know it sounds simple because that's just the basis of what a choreographer was but like you just don't get to feel that feeling of imagining something in your head and then seeing it appear live on stage from the balcony you know running up to the balcony and seeing these shapes that you've created and this choreography that you've created and watch it happen and watch those stage effects actually be impactful and so I did that. It was great. And I remember when we did um, the run through on the stage, I went up to the top balcony at the Amsterdam theater and watched the piece from the top and saw those shapes and saw those stage effects be actually affecting. And, and I just couldn't believe it. I was like, this is what it looks like to have your choreography on a Broadway stage. Oh, this, it's so cool. This is what we're doing. I also um, didn't really like, um, who was our director for that? It wasn't Sam Mendez. It was Jeremy Sams. Um, we, I, I was not a fan of his during that show and, um, uh, he was, he was tough. And I remember watching that and being like in rehearsals being like, I should be directing this. Like 15 year old Eamon Foley was like, I should be directing the show, which is absolutely insane. Like, I know that that's insane now, but like, it was the beginning of being frustrated being in the ensemble when I had things to say like i i know how this transition could work just give me the reins and i can fix this transition for you in 15 minutes i swear and that is like that's a director brain that not every actor has and it's just the way that you're just seeing stuff that no one else can see and it's very hard to be an actor when you especially don't have a very smart director yeah exactly he was seeing those things (laughs) um so in, in recent years it feels like you know per you kind of put performance on the on the oh, yeah. other side for you was there a, oh, put me on stage. Yeah. was there like a day where you were like i never ever want to sing again yes yes um i did a production of merrily we roll along at princeton and i while really, you were at school okay. yeah and i yeah. did not like not directing the show okay i you know and i was just like i can't i can't act and like see the answers here and not say them i hope this doesn't sound terribly pompous it's just 
frustrating when you have a vision and you can't see it come to life after you've had that taste of watching your vision come to life. You know, like to be no, able I to mean, see. No, I mean, I really yeah. understand. <laughs> it yeah. makes total sense to me. You know, that, like once you've figured out that high, you know, like that that thrill of watching something that was in your head be real all of a sudden and other people be moved by it, like, you know, to just kind of be a pawn in it, which like I must have not been a brilliant actor because brilliant actors are brilliant creators. Like they aren't just pawns in their work. They are the director of their own track. And I really felt distracted from my track because I wanted to direct the entire piece. So um, that show was the show where I decided I never wanted to act again. And then <laughs> funny enough, the first job I got out of school was choreographing Merrily We Roll Along with Michael Arden. So with I was my right buddy back. Donna Vivino, right? Yes, with Donna yes. Vivino. Friend yeah. of the podcast. Now, mm-hmm. uh, this as far as choreographing is concerned, it feels like you and Michael Arden have a great connection. You also choreographed um, Annie at the Hollywood Bowl, um, starring Caitlin Hedges, also my student who we oh, love. She's great. Yeah. Isn't she a star? So how are you, what is your work like that's different when you're just getting to choreograph when you have this director's mind? Ooh, that's a really great question. It's really interesting because sometimes as a choreographer, you're sort of choreographing the show the way the director would choreograph the show if they could choreograph a show. I think that, um, the, the you know, best, that was the best explanation of choreography that I've ever heard in my whole life. And I'm 40 yeah. plus years old. Well, you know, it's interesting. Like, obviously, like you, sometimes you have more free reign than others. Uh, with, it depends on the director. Um, you have to just really make sure you're telling the same story that they want to be telling. So um, that's kind of what I've learned because sometimes it's hard for directors to communicate to a choreographer what they want to see or what they, you know, and I, what I've learned from making mistakes or working really hard on something and then getting a, wow, that was wrong. Like you really missed the mark. Is like, you just have to really make sure you're trying to say the same thing that the director's trying to say. So you're not telling the two different stories. Yeah. Then you can kind of go off and like have your fun. Um, so, uh, that's part of it, but you know, it's, it's, it's making sure that you're, you're serving someone else's vision, which is amazing in the sense that like you get to, like, I love working with Michael. I get to choreograph big things on big stages with really talented people with one of my favorite directors ever. That spring awakening changed my life of his, like, I think he's a genius, um, but then, like, there is a, t- it's a whole different ballgame choreographing four shows that you're directing because it's just all streamlined through one mind. Mm-hmm. So, like, I just always, it's, it's easier, honestly, because I know when I can, I know when I'm going to pick up the, not the slack from choreogra- choreography, but, you know, where, where the energy from choreography is going to go into directing and into staging or into just some sort of brilliant lighting effect, you know, and then it's going to, when, when dance needs to kind of, uh, take the reins of the storytelling just because it's all the, the math, the, the, the math equation of how the show is going is all, you know, right there in my noggin. And it but should never look else, like three people worked on this. Like it should, exactly. you know, yeah. And so that's exactly the goal. You want to sort of create something seamless with a director. Um, but you know, there's a give and take, you, you take missteps, you come back, you ask a lot of questions, you ask questions at the right time. You yeah. know, you, um, you kind of like, uh, play this game where you try to get to that integrated musical that's honestly a little easier to get to when you're doing it on your own. I love collaborating, but also I kind of love the the game of, you know, just having something in your head and being able to see the whole, when you see the whole show behind your eyelids and then being able to see the whole show in front of you that you can share with other audiences. It's pretty That's thrilling. really fun. But, but Michael gives me these opportunities that are just otherworldly. I'm actually going out to Tokyo in a month to choreograph Guys and Dolls at the Imperial Theater, which is just like this massive opera house, with this How crazy turntable, yeah. and elevators, and this massive cast. And just, you know, Michael's trust in me is just like so meaningful because he's helping me grow as a director and a choreographer by A, being able to learn from him, um, work with his brilliant designers, like Dane Laffrey, who's a really genius set designer who I get to learn a lot from just by watching him work. And then also having opportunities to choreograph shows at a scale that just make me better and are big challenges. So I'm eternally grateful to Michael. Well, you have so many thrilling projects, I'm sure, that we have yet to see that are living in this brain of yours <laughs> that I can't wait to see on Broadway. And I know that will happen. And like, what a legacy to be able to have done this from basically, you know, eight eight on. You have yeah. just sort of uh, lived and breathed this world and created so many opportunities for students at Princeton and so many opportunities for, I I feel like you're about to create a lot of opportunities for a lot of actors and that is, uh, and dancers. And that's really uh, special. So Amen, we have to do the quick fire questions, which basically we're going to run through some questions. Don't overthink it and answer them as fast as you can. And that's the only prerequisite. Are you ready? 
Yes, I'm ready. First audition song? Uh, Gary Indiana. First Broadway show you saw? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Abby's song. What? I know. Uh, Google it. What, what is that? Okay. I know. Okay, favorite Broadway show of all time, all the years, um, any Nine show? the Musical. Okay. Patty or Bernadette? Bernadette. Something you turned down that you had second thoughts about? Oh, 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 A Tree Grows in Brooklyn at Encores. It's okay. It was boring. Um, okay. <laughs> maybe it was amazing. I, I saw it. I, I just really like Sergio was the direct, was the choreographer. Oh, he's the just, best. Like, we just had a really good time in the rehearsal and I was an audition and I was like, I'm really, I, I booked a pilot. So I had to do that. But You're like, like, sorry, TV's calling. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Who would you like to see in Gypsy? What I'd like to see in Gypsy. Oh my God. Lindsay Mendez. All right. Yeah. Um, the last person you texted. Oh, the last person I texted. Um, Considering you couldn't find your phone before we started this, yeah, something tells oh, me. Mike Rhodes. I have this friend from Princeton, Mike Rhodes, who's just like who's the Shout CFO out. of Grind Arts Company, and he is helping me find ways to pay artists. So, oh my god, I love him. Yeah, him. All right, yeah. do you have a favorite Alphaba? Um, yes, I do, and it is in the Spinoza. Okay, what is your go-to album for a car trip? Um, oh, Company. I want blank movie to be a musical. Oh, okay. Um, Black Swan. (laughs) Can you name two real housewives? Nope. (laughs) Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. That's the only right answer. Um, Strangest stage door experience? Oh my God, this is great. You're gonna, Look this at is, your I'm face. not going to be rapid fire. Sorry. No, um, take your time with this, baby. So so a guy um, followed on, oh my God, um, <laughs> came to the stage door of every rap shirt kind of like multiple times. I was, I was a child, by the way. And he would like kind of bring me gifts, like, like a stuffed bunny and, you know, and like candy. And I was like, okay, thank you. And then one time I get on the train ride home and he is... He comes onto the train and sits next to me. No, 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 and no, no. Follows me home on the train, and I'm just on the train. I can't like get up because like I'm in a three seater and I'm on the inside and he's on the outside. So I'm kind of like stuck on the train with this stalker, you know. And he he rides the train home with me, and then at Stamford, I like book out and like go to the connecting train and like you know and 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 ditch him but yeah the strangest that's the strangest experience yeah. is being followed home to connecticut by an okay alderman. did he go yeah. to the stage door again after that i never saw him again at the stage oh door. god well sir if you're listening don't do that ever again <laughs> yeah please don't okay do, do you do any impressions um i used to do uh what's her name she was the first gypsy the first the first mama rose in gypsy Ethel Merman? I so I used to have Ethel Merman impersonations on my resume. And anytime I was asked to do the Ethel Merman impersonation, I would book the role. And I cannot do it for you now, and I will not do it for you. I'm, okay, I'm very sad about it. Yeah. All right. Last five years question. You have to pick yeah. Kathy or Jamie. Oh, it's definitely it's, it's Kathy's show. Kathy, Jamie's so yeah. mean. Horrible. Jamie's mean, but like I, I actually directed and choreographed that show actually once with Graham. I saw. And oh my god, um, how fun. And, and uh, yeah, I, I definitely would love doing that show like from a Kathy perspective. It's, 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 it, it softens it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. who is your favorite Muppet? Oh, is like, is like monster a Muppet or Monster's like animal? A Muppet. Uh, monster. Yeah. Well, monster is a, sus, but yeah, animal is fine. Brandon Espinosa also chose animals. So there you go. You yeah, guys are we're, the same. We're, we're, we're bad kids. Okay. If you can go back in time and see any Broadway show, what would it be? Um, Avita. Yeah. Good choice. Who makes you starstruck? Oh, who makes me starstruck? Allie Trim. Allie, yes, Allie Trim. Trim. My dear, dear friend Allie Trim makes me starstruck. I just saw her go on for Glinda. Oh my God, was she we've thrilling? Been, we've been best friends for years. She's saying what it means to be a friend to me while I was getting my tattoo. And like, I like <laughs> couldn't speak to like my dear friend. I was just like so moved you know, by her performance. So cool. She was unreal. I've never heard Glinda sung Shout like that. Shout out to child nuts. star, Allie Trim. Yeah. Allie what Trim, is your, get her on the show. I, we're working on it. What is your yeah. favorite smell? Oh, my favorite smell. The musk of a man. <laughs> Not that. But sure, I'll leave it for this. I'm sweating. My face is red. Okay, what is something you always had in your dressing room? 
Oh, what have I always had in my dressing room? Oh, just a, a scooter. Okay. Um, are you into true crime? And the follow-up is, what crime would you like to have solved? Oh, I'm not into true crime. And I would... There's no like, follow-up. There's no follow-up. Yeah. The answer is always JonBenet Ramsey. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, favorite TV quarantine binge? We're a little bit past that, but I'll take it. Oh. We oh, might be right succession, back Succession. Succession. Yes. yes so, succession. like, the only thing that interested me this whole entire quarantine. Have you ever left a show at intermission? You don't have to tell us what it is. Um, I don't think I have, but I've I left several that. movies in the middle. Like, I left Into the Woods in the middle. Just actually. didn't do it for you. Just didn't do it for me. And I love that musical too much. I was like, you know what? I, I'm good. Now, I know you don't sing anymore, but if nobody's home, would you do you sing around the house? And if so, yes. what do you sing? I'm learning to rediscover my voice. It's a lot of Wicked. It's a All lot right. of Wicked. I'm a big slut for Wicked, and I'm not ashamed to say it. And okay. I, like, I, I was, um, I definitely would sing Wizard and I. When, right. when, oh, yeah. When the train doesn't have anyone in it, like, I, my test for myself to, like, rediscover my voice and my bravery is to belt Wizard and I, like, talk of my lungs. Well, friends, if you're on the subway with Amen, get off it so he can sing. Yeah, so Wizard can and sing, I. Can okay, last couple of questions. What do you want on your bagel? Oh, um, cream cheese and jelly. Ooh. What movie yeah. can you watch over and over again? Black Swan. <laughs> and what advice do you have for young performers? Oh, um, you're never done. You know, like, I know you think that you're a genius because you booked a Broadway show when you're 10, but the truth is you're not. And, like, you have to keep working at it. And other kids will surpass you if you don't. So keep honing your craft. You are not done. I love it. Tell the people where they can follow you to see what you're up to. At Eamon John Foley, E-A-M-O-N-J-O-H-N-F-O-L-E-Y on Instagram or at grindartsco.com, my company. And um, yeah, that's it. Or yeah, and is, also the Grind Arts YouTube is where we post all of our work. So tell us, is there too. something coming up with Grind Arts that we can we should be excited about? Oh, well, yeah, this this Sunday workshop is through Grind Arts Company. Um, so we're going to be doing some little some little labs and stuff like that. But um, in terms of our, our digital work and our, we do a lot of dance films, we're taking a breather from that so that we can focus on the lot, the, the bigger, the big kahuna, you know? Well, I watched a bunch of the YouTube videos and they're beautiful. You're very talented. Thank you, you were when you were a child and you certainly are as an adult. I'm awesome. so thrilled to have you with me today. Thank you for sharing your Broadway story. And those of you at home, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with an all new episode. Thank you, Eamon. You're the best. Thank you for having me. This was a joy. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash little me. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.